Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. It's been a while. It's been a while, so we apologize. This month in May, we're, we're planning on pumping out a little bit more, uh, well, certainly more than the, what, two or three that we did last month, but uh, I'm trying to get back into it, trying to get back into the swing of things. We've got lots of off-season podcast ideas that will be coming your way, in addition to all the news. For those that are new or unfamiliar, this is the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz joins me usually, and actually in this episode, he's taken my role a little bit. So he and Alan Triu did a fun uh, recruiting podcast. It's going to cover some of the in-state stuff, cover some of the some of the key issues when it comes to Michigan's 2021 recruiting. Uh, I was tied up a little bit with writing some other things, and so I just let Steve go. Uh, be sure to check out all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com, but I'll let Steve take it away. What's going on, guys? Steve Lorenz, 24-7 Sports, Wolverine 24-7, Michigan Insider, Earth. I mean, there's a lot of different titles where we're coming from today. Uh, I'm actually hosting. Zach is not around. Uh, we're doing recruiting today. Had a special guest, uh, the man. One of my uh, favorite people to work with in the, in the 24-7 network was probably the guy I was most excited to work with uh, after the merger a few years ago, uh, our Midwest analyst, Alan Triu. Alan, uh, what's going on? How's the uh, quarantine been treating you? Uh, it's a pretty different experience, I think, for people who are quarantined with kids and with people uh, who are without. So we've got two little ones, so it's a little bit challenging. I know that... Uh, some of our friends can binge watch a Netflix series in an entire day. And it, I've watched like 15 minutes of the first episode of The Last Dance. So that kind of gives you some perspective. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a funny thing for me. Uh, not much has changed. As I have a dog and a cat. Uh, she works. It's the same as she did before this started. And nothing's changed for us as far as production on a day-to-day basis. Especially you with recruiting. Because recruiting is like the one thing I think that we still – can sort of rely on on a day-to-day basis as far as there's actually stuff to kind of discuss and talk about. So, uh, so yeah, no, I think for most of us, yeah, the kids thing. Yeah. I can only imagine uh, teachers are all probably, they've probably been chuckling since this started with parents who had to deal with kids on a day-to-day basis. So uh, biggest topic we we're going to talk about today was the in-state stuff. But as I said, before we got on the call, I think we'd be a little remiss to not quickly discuss three-star wide receiver, Marcus Allen committed to Michigan yesterday. I think the crystal ball was 100% there in favor of the Wolverines. Uh, Naturally, the first thing is, well, he's a three-star prospect, uh, but a guy we had listed as a top target for quite a while, uh, especially after it became clear that Michigan is heavily targeting more of your outside, longer, lankier, uh, say Nico Collins-type receivers in this cycle. So give me your thoughts on him, what you think about the pickup, and and – I don't know, comparable or what you think his ceiling can be. Yeah, so with Marcus, I think the story, uh, uh, that line that I have had with him is that he's very different from what you got last year. So when you put him together with uh, A.J. Henning, Roman Wilson, Iman Dennis, three guys who are make plays happen after the catch guys, uh, pure speed guys, now you add a bigger outside receiver who – You know, if you're devoting too much time to some guys in the slot, he can win a one-on-one matchup outside, can move the sticks, um, certainly win you some red zone battles. And, 
know, for being a guy who profiles as, as more of that type of receiver, does show the ability to get downfield sometimes on his, uh, on his film, I think. Also, when you look at three-star guys, you know, especially in our system where we base that on NFL draft potential, and uh, there's a long debate to be had about that, but I do think that that's the right system. Um, that doesn't mean that a three-star guy can't go to pros, and it certainly means doesn't mean that a three-star guy can't help you win games. So how many you know, three-star undrafted type guys over the years have helped Michigan win football games. It's been a lot of them. And I think Marcus is that kind of guy. So we haven't had a chance, I think, to fully assess what his ceiling is, but I feel pretty comfortable with his floor being a guy who's going to be able to contribute to them in, in a lot of meaningful ways. I think someone on our board, and I don't know, I mean, he's way before my time from an evaluation standpoint, maybe before your time, actually. Uh, somebody compared him to Adrian Arrington. I thought that was... Because, I mean, you talk about a guy that didn't make it in the NFL but helped Michigan win some football games. Uh, Arrington kind of fits that bill to a T. Uh, is that – you see anything there, or is that a little overblown? Or Well, I think Adrian came in with more expectations. I think he was a top you – know, I remember him being a pretty highly recruited guy. He was sure. a top 200, 250 kind of guy and then snuck into a late-round pick. So I think expectations coming in – uh, maybe a little bit higher for Adrian, but I think in terms of style of play, I, I can see that where he was a, a bigger guy who could win some jump balls, um, maybe not a track star, but a guy who uh, gave you that size and mismatch potential for that same reason I compared him to Greg Matthews, who is a little bit, I think, along the same lines as what Adrian Arrington was. And, and Greg you know, had a really strong Michigan career, caught a lot of passes, uh, ultimately didn't I don't believe got drafted and, and hung around in the league um, so that's what you know when we rank a guy in the three-star range um, that Marcus is in that's kind of where he, what we would compare him to is a guy like Greg Matthews so somewhere in that neighborhood I've seen the names thrown out of, of Adrian Arrington Amara Darbo I said Greg Matthews so that gives you I think a good idea of the, of the type of style of player that Marcus Allen is. I mean I think if his career turns out to be any of those three guys' careers, I think you're satisfied with a take in that situation, obviously. So, uh, bigger topics. Some, yeah. uh, sorry, uh, sorry, yeah, but there's, there's been some, I think, uh, every year there's probably a couple of takes that you wonder about a little bit, and uh, I, this is not one of them. No. Um, his, 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 I mean, he's an 86, so it's not like he's way down at the bottom of the 80s. He's a you know, top, I think, 25, 30 guy in Ohio. So he is, a, he is a very, very good take. And, and Michigan has prioritized this guy for a long time. They would have had every chance to duck this commitment or to not offer him or to kind of slow play him. And they haven't done that. And so I think that that shows you where he was on their board. Right. And Gatt, going back with Gaddis, you know, you go all the way back to when he was at Vandy. Uh, Penn State too, obviously. A little less so at Alabama. He wasn't there very long, and you have five-star after five-star to coach. But his evals have usually been pretty solid, uh, you know, and so I think that's another maybe thing to think about with this with this commitment as far as, yeah, him being a guy. Yeah, didn't have Ohio State, didn't have Penn State, didn't have Notre Dame. Uh, but I think Wisconsin has re recruited the receiver position pretty well. Uh, West Virginia, I believe he had Purdue. Purdue's recruited the wide receiver spot really well the last few cycles. Uh, so 
couple things that maybe take away with that one as well. Uh, so yeah, Marcus Allen, eleventh uh, commit, I think. I, I can't keep track. They've added quite a few in the last few weeks here. So uh, class is kind of the foundation is sort of being built for this class. Now I think the focus turns on some of the bigger names, which kind of brings us into the main topic here with many of those guys being in-state prospects. So Michigan, in my opinion, I think I, I'm not uh, have the way I've kind of gone about it is it's a lot like anything else with Michigan, both on the field and off the field with recruiting. I don't think the in-state stuff is as bad as what detractors say it is, but to me, there are correctable and visible things out there that could easily be fixed to maybe make it even better. Uh, you have your hand on the, or the finger on the pulse of this state, the coaches, the, especially in the areas that Michigan recruits heavily, uh, better than almost anybody. First thing, I guess, start off by asking, from your standpoint, what are some things that Michigan has done correctly on the recruiting trail as far as in-state, at least under Harbaugh, the last what, four or five cycles? Well, I think they've um, identified key targets and gotten those guys up to campus. You go back to last year's class. Um, Andre Selden was an early offer guy. Um, Braden McGregor, uh, Michigan wasn't the first offer, but they were in that first wave before he really took off and, and he got up to campus um, and, and uh, visited with them a few times, which I think you know, even though he had a lot of Michigan ties growing up, really helped them towards the end of that recruitment when things went pretty national there. And I think recently too, I've noticed them upping that a little bit. You've seen the number of 2022 offers that have gone out and not being afraid to be in first on a guy like Tyrell Henry out of Roseville, who had zero offers before Michigan came in, program that's not on the usual recruiting path there at Roseville. I think things like that um, are, are important when you're the in-state school to not make it seem like you're following the lead on guys who are in your backyard. Definitely. And, and I mean, to me too, uh, by and large, under Harbaugh, they've gotten most of the in-state guys that they've really heavily pursued. I think just like with any a lot of other things, as far as it pertains to how Michigan is viewed, I think people, I think there's been a little bit too much focus on the maybe bigger name recruits that they haven't signed in. Uh, guys like Dobbs and Barnett, who you know I still hear about from time to time on our board, uh, Justin Rogers. Uh, trying to think of some others, uh, Lance Dixon, you know, there's some, there are some bigger name guys they've missed on, but by and large, I mean, you go back to 17 when they signed the top six, uh, Mason or uh, Hayes and Mayfield were the top two in 18, according to our rankings. And I think uh, Hutchinson was right there as well. So for me, I think the, for the most part, they've gotten most of the guys they've wanted, but, and this is kind of the, I think this is probably the bigger topic is, there are some things out there and definitely in my opinion, but I want to hear your opinion on some things that they can improve on that could make it, I guess the biggest, make it even, make it easier for them in state with a lot of these races. Well, I think that, you know, the, the biggest thing is that I think there's some fractured relationships there at some high schools that need to be repaired. And it's possible that some of those are, in a state right now where you just really aren't going to be able to, or you're only going to be able to get it back so much. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And so, you know, the big topic is always how do those things, how did those things happen? Uh, and then how do you move forward with that? And so uh, I think that um, there, there have been some missteps on Michigan's side. And then some of that, too, is that there's just enormous pressure on the in-state school to keep those relationships going and to recruit the in-state players and to offer the in-state players. I mean, we saw that, you, we see that everywhere. Um, and, I, and I bring it up because the most recent example I can think of is Missouri, where the coaches in St. Louis really felt like Barry Odom's staff didn't recruit them the way they wanted to be recruited. He leaves, they get a new coach in this year. That guy's already got five or six, I think, in-state commits because they've been able to reset the table with the coaches, especially in St. Louis. So I think Michigan has started to do some of that. I know that they're taking a, a multi-pronged approach in Detroit now with Sharon Moore doing, uh, he had been in there, but now Josh Gaddis is more active um, with that. I know that the position coaches are reaching out more. I think from a, a standpoint of where the Detroit coaches are coming from, I think they want to feel more emphasis from the in-state schools. And so with the caveat that I think that happens everywhere uh, in major metropolitan cities, those football coaches want the in-state school to really show them a lot of attention and, and oftentimes feel like they aren't getting enough. I think Michigan has, with what I've mentioned recently, some of those 22 offers that were put out, I think is a reaction to knowing that uh, they have to, pick up some of the efforts there. I think particularly in the city of Detroit, when we right. talk about in-state recruiting and some of the issues that happen with in-state recruiting, I think we're mostly really talking about Detroit. There are those issues don't exist. I think in other parts of the state. Do you think there being and in this, like you said, applies to a lot of other programs, not just Michigan, which again is another thing I think people will want to keep in mind here. Uh, do you think Michigan's I did, did they held to a little bit too high of a standard in that regard as far as like, I mean, I'll be honest, you see, you see official high school accounts uh, tweeting about Michigan. Hey, why don't they just take another kid out of Massachusetts? Um, and it's like, you know, I, it's just, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like I, I, cause I get where you're, I, I completely agree as far as, uh, the effort or the, maybe it's just the approach has been a little off. I think people always point to Tyrone Wheatley's departure as a turning point in that regard, you would know more about that than I would. Uh, but, you know, I think there are still are instances. It sometimes feels like Michigan is it's damned if you do damned if you don't. Uh, Cause if they're sometimes maybe feeling pressured to offer guys that maybe they don't believe are Michigan capable players. And then if they don't, you know, they're going to kind of hear it publicly. Um, you know, is, are, are they, is it a little bit too high of a standard or do you think it's, there's a way to balance it without sacrificing maybe the caliber of talent that you want to maybe uh, recruit and sign to the program? So I think there's a little bit of both there. I think 
that you can't you can recruit the state and you can recruit the city and and get those players up for visits and get those players to camp and things without necessarily offering those guys um so i think you can recruit an area without necessarily just throwing out a bunch of offers um and i do think that over the years some of the the standard that the in-state schools in michigan gets held to is a little bit high on, on the other hand i think you can go back through and pick out some in-state Detroit guys every year that Michigan probably should have gone on. Alaric Jackson yep. recently comes to mind. Desmond King comes to mind. So I think those examples strengthen the argument from the Detroit coaches side of things. Um, and then I, I think you draw more attention towards it when you take sleepers from other states like Massachusetts. And, sure. I, and I, I would side more with Michigan on that one. I mean, you can't, if you like a guy, I don't think where they're from should play into this play into the discussion. So obviously they have good relationships up in that area. They know a lot of the high school coaches in that uh, Massachusetts area. They're getting good recommendations and feedback from those guys. And, and the guys that they've brought in from the Northeast have by and large turned out. I mean, you look at Quiddy pay who was not a big time recruit. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily buy the fact that if you, they're taking a sleeper out of Massachusetts. That means they should go pull a sleeper out of Michigan. But I do think that historically, when you go back through the list, you know, they're averaging out about where they normally recruit. So I go back to the 2003 class, which had Lamar Woodley in it, who was the big time national recruit. They only signed five guys from inside the state and uh, none of them were from Detroit. So this is, and back then you didn't really hear, um, the complaints about Coach Carr, and I think that the internet has a lot to do with that. Right, right. The amount of information there is now, and I also think that you know where the perception of the program matters because um, Ohio State doesn't take a ton of Ohio guys, but uh, you know they're in the playoffs, so it's hard to, and they're putting tons of guys in the pros, so it's hard to really complain about what they do in the state. But even still, with them, you get every year there's a kind of a discussion about like how do we miss Luke Keekley and. Le'Veon Bell and those guys out of Ohio. So you never, when you have a state that's as deep as Michigan is um, and states as deep as Ohio is, you're never going to bat a thousand percent on that. It's much easier, I think, for the states like Wisconsin and Iowa, where there's maybe 10 to 15 power five type guys every year to evaluate all of those guys thoroughly and make sure you don't miss on them. Yeah, it's kind of ironic about the miss, some of the misses in state. You know, see the guys that have gone on to the league, and a lot of them were not the highest, you know, not the highest ranked guys. There's almost been a, I think, I think was it you that even posted on our board a list of like the recent guys out of the state who have been drafted. And uh, so not only Michigan missing on some of these guys, I think state probably at points where was missing on some of these guys and even like a Notre Dame and Ohio State. You talk about Desmond King, Avante Maddox, uh, you know, guys like that. So uh, good stuff. So, what would you do? Like, what is a one or two major actions you would take to maybe fix it? Now I want to, I'm going to say my first one just real quick, because I've just kind of wondered, I'd want your thoughts on it is what is, what is stopping Michigan? You know, you talk about camp season and I know we're not going to get that this year because of everything that's going on, but in a normal year, you know, camp season in June or July or whatever is to take like one day of your camp and make like an in-state, day or something of your summer your 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 standard camp setting to get to find the 100 
I don't know how many kids you normally host on a regular camp day, but on a regular camp day to fit in as many in-state guys from however many classes you're willing to teach, you know, in for a day to kind of say, hey, like, you know, not only – because, yeah, you're not going to be able to offer, you're not going to take every one of these kids, but to bring them on into the big house, work with them, have other schools there to work with them. Obviously, you know, the great relationship with Central Michigan, with Jim McElwain there, uh, you know, other schools in the area to bring all these guys in and, and give them one big day. I, I've, I felt like, is that going too, is that too much of a devotion of resources during a, you know, I know camp season doesn't, t- isn't a uh, super long, but that was one thing I kind of wondered uh, was something that Michigan could do to where, yeah, maybe this guy isn't a Michigan caliber guy, but like I said, bring him into the big house, get him in front of a bunch of different programs and maybe, you know, get him some looks from some other schools would maybe help build some goodwill with a few of these programs that are maybe soured on Michigan a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know that. I mean, I was going to, that was going to be one of my, my things. I don't know <laughs> that you have to go. No, no, no. I, I don't know. And I don't know that you have to go as far as to make it like an all in state day thing, but I do think that you have to get a lot of those guys there. And I don't think that it's just necessarily for your goodwill of in the state either. I mean, I think it helps you mine out and not miss some of those guys, I go back to, I'm looking at the list of guys from the state of Michigan that have been drafted in the last four or five years. And you look at the 2016 draft um, where the first, none of the first, you know, none of the draft picks actually went to Michigan. And the, out of the first five that were picked, Jack Conklin, Parker Anger, Willie Beavers, and Anthony Zettel, four of those guys were all at Michigan's camp. So you can at least have evaluated those guys. They nearly, I think, went, I think they try to get Jack Conklin to, take a walk-on deal like he did at Michigan State. So it helps you kind of flesh out some of those guys. Um, and then the second point would be to get more of those guys up for games. Uh, and I used to go to cover a lot more Michigan games um, back in the, the early days of the Michigan Insider. And I remember seeing guys like Jeremy Langford there, who Michigan didn't offer. But those guys were all at the games. And I think that you can do some of that so that the in-state kids, um, like I said earlier, feel like they're being recruited by Michigan and Michigan is at least evaluating them, even if you don't put an offer out to those guys. So um, you get to the point where, again, I'm going to use some other Big Ten schools like Iowa will sometimes go on a guy late in their class or offer walk-ons to guys. And by that point, that kid's probably been to every home game at Iowa during the year. And I think, um, again, I know that the numbers in Michigan of division one recruits makes that harder to do than in the state of Iowa. But I think you can do some of that. Um, we'd go back to a couple of years ago when they took Vincent Gray and Ben Van Summeren late um, during that cycle. I don't believe either of those guys had camped and I don't believe that either of them had been to an in-state game at the point uh, at a home game at the point that Michigan offered. So I think traditionally you would hope that those, both of those guys had at least been to campus before and, and so when you decide to go on those guys late, there's an established relationship there with the school. So that last point, you talk about Gray Van Summer and not attending game, not even being at a game the year that they, whether they've been to one in the past or not, but if not ever, I don't remember Gray ever being at a Michigan game. Does that to you maybe speak a little bit that to that idea? And I think some have opined on this before that maybe Michigan sometimes takes for granted a little bit that they can just make a run at a guy they want late without having to put in that effort from start to finish in situations like that. Because to me, that's, that's crazy. Uh, you know, that you would, 
that a guy like in those situations would never have even been to a game, let alone camp with the coaching staff. Um, is that a feasible argument? You think that, that, that might be another maybe sort of flaw in sometimes, not all the time, but in some of their approach, sometimes that they kind of feel like, you know, this, the whole best, the best players in Michigan go to Michigan type deal that sometimes they maybe take that for granted in certain races or instances. I think maybe more, and it's hard for me to, I guess, um, give an educated guess on that without being in the building with them and, and going through some of those meetings. But I think some of that is maybe not uh, trying to dig out some of the sleepers in the state uh, as much. And, and, you know, Ben Van Summeren was way under the radar. So at the point at which he started inviting guys to camp, I'm not really sure he would have been a guy that was like an obvious, hey, this guy's a probable Big Ten uh, prospect. I think he was committed to Western Michigan at the time. So some of that, part of that is is um, to blame for that. But at the same time, again, you know, if you're asking for what I would do, any guy in the state that I think is probable as even a division one guy, if he's going to go to Eastern Michigan or Toledo or Ohio or something like that. And he's from the state of Michigan. I would want that kid at camp uh, so that I can at least lay eyes on him and at least know him so that if he blows up later on, then we've got an eval, a live eval on them, and they've been to campus, and we've met the kid. So th that's that's more of the standpoint that I'm coming from. I don't know that they've taken it for granted that they, like we can just come in and offer a Ben Van Summeren whenever we want, and he's going to commit. I, I just think some of those guys fell pretty heavily under the Big Ten radar, and uh, that's that's partly why they were missed. But I do think that that type of kid um, needs to be, like I said, at least at least at a camp at the bottom line. Sure. So the ironic part of all of this to me is that this cycle, 2021, is a cycle where I think Michigan is, Michigan's approach is being questioned more than normal, but it's maybe the most viable time to use it because Michigan is actually like hot after the top, top guys. You know, because you talk about there, there was all the stuff with Belleville, Dobbs, and Barnett. You know, Michigan was not involved in those recruitments for months before, you know, for months, uh, for whatever reason. Same with Justin Rogers. That was very back and forth early, but Michigan never really a true factor. Uh, we talk about guys like Edwards, uh, Donovan Edwards uh, out of West Bloomfield, Rocco Spindler out of Clarkston. These are guys that Michigan really, really, really want. And our guys at Michigan is now is recruiting, are recruiting really, really, really hard. Uh, so will be interesting to see how these two, especially to me, the, these two recruitments play out. Guess it would, like I said, much like with Allen, it'd be remiss to ask, you know, your thoughts right now on Rocco Spindler. I know you and I have talked about this recruitment a few times off the record. Uh, you know, give me your latest, I suppose, on where you think things are at there, how Michigan's doing, and and what the timeline, the whole the, the whole shebang. Yeah. So. First, one more general comment on in-state recruiting, because your lead-in kind of jogged my memory on this, too. I wanted to make this point, is that I think in-state recruiting can be kind of cyclical and a little bit based on the year, too, where some years you just see the top kids in the state, maybe all are guys that want to leave the state. It just happens to be that kind of year. Or maybe one year, the guys at the top of the state happen to have a couple of them have grown up as Michigan State fans, and those guys start to talk to the other kids. And Michigan State's got a good foothold, and in other years, it's going to be Michigan. So I think 21 is kind of setting up as a year that Michigan's really going to have to battle it out for these kids. Like, it, this is a, a group 
that just a lot of them are looking out of state. And that is much more common today than it was. So when we compare it back to Lloyd Carr's results that I mentioned in 2003, 2004, I think you got to understand that kids are being recruited from outside the state much harder than ever before. Schools are coming in from all over the place. In the 22 class, you're already seeing that. I think that one is maybe a little bit more Michigan angled right now um, than, than 21 was at the bat. So that's just kind of my first general comment. And then with Rocco, I've still got a crystal ball in from Michigan. Um, we're actually going to have a feature, I think, pretty soon where we're able to assign a confidence rating to our crystal ball. My confidence rating on that one would not be super high. I do think that it's between Michigan and Notre Dame. He's going to give some other schools a chance. Uh, and I do think that some of them have legitimate, legitimate potential to uh, sway him away. But I, I do think those are the two schools ahead right now. And uh, Notre Dame's done a really good job recruiting him. I know that he likes him a lot. I know that he likes, um, has a good relationship with some of the guys in that class already. Michigan, I think he also has good relationships with some of the players on the team and especially guys in the class like J.J. McCarthy, uh, Giovanni Alhadi. Um, but, but I, you know, there's a lot of Notre Dame smoke there right now. I'm still trying to assess exactly um, how much of that smoke is, is do I think is going to lead to a possible Irish commitment before I make any changes to my pick. But I would, I've been saying recently that I'm foggier on that one than ever before. And uh, I'm sticking with that for right now. It's, it's, it's one of the, you know, I think it's going to be one of those two teams, but I don't have the same confidence that it's going to be Michigan that I once had. Donovan Edwards. Now, Sam recently did a great piece on how Edwards timeline affects Michigan Interested to hear your take. I, I was a little. Uh, I'm a little skeptical that the longer he takes, the better for Michigan, just because I feel like I'm kind of I'm in, beginning to be in that camp where the longer it f- takes, uh, the more I feel like he's almost looking for other schools to kind of enter the race and to look somewhere else. Uh, again, the, these some of these guys. That being said. It's it's important to note that with with the virus and no visits and all this stuff is like this cycle is radically different than any cycle we've covered before. At least it has been for me so far. Where every kid's timeline and their approach is going to be a lot different. So that I guess also should be taken into account when if he wants to slow things down, it's because hey, I can't go anywhere right now and I still want to go some places, you know. So might not be bad. I just have been skeptical. Uh, you know, we, we saw what happened with Ohio State. Obviously, it was pretty clear he was probably favoring them. Then they take they decide to – you know, it's pretty clear they squeezed that situation out, you know, kind of figured out which guy would commit first between him and Henderson. Uh, got Henderson. They're out. Georgia took Lavoisier Carroll. I think they're still recruiting uh, uh, LJ Johnson, a couple other guys as well. So uh, – and I suspect they would take LJ Johnson, uh, Georgia would. So, you know – would almost at first would almost lead you to believe, hey, like he's kind of going to fall into Michigan's lap. But, and I assume you probably know a couple schools here. Feels like there's some other schools that are at least sniffing around, if not starting to maybe make a little bit of an impact. Yeah. So even before the shutdown happened, uh, I had Crystal Ball at Ohio State, and there was really strong buzz for them there, and I had gotten it confirmed basically that. If you had made the kid decide in November, December, it probably was going to be Ohio State. But talked to a lot of people close to him around that time, 
and they said, you know, he's he lo- really likes Ohio State, but he's really not sure what he's going to do. Um, he, he's probably as unsure as ever, and he's still even even then. You know, there was good buzz coming out of the Georgia visit, and again, people close to him were kind of saying, "Yeah, don't don't go crazy with the Georgia thing. They're in there, and he likes them, but he's he's pretty far away from." getting to a decision. So I don't think that the virus has forced this timeline later. It sounds to me like even before that, he was already kind of unsure of the process and didn't have a very strong leaning one way or another. And so this, this jives with what I'd been told at that time. I just predicted Ohio State because I knew they were the leader at that point or at one point, and I thought he was going to end up kind of coming back around to that by the time he made the decision, but then they took the two running backs. So now I don't think that this is, this necessarily means anything bad for Michigan. I actually, from my perspective, it could be a huge positive because I think a question for him is Michigan's development of running backs. It's been a lot has been made out of them not having a draft pick at running back in quite some time. And I think with a guy like Zach Charbonnet, um, who got off to a good start last year, if Zach really shows a lot of development and progress between last year and this year, something like that, I think could really uh, move Michigan up the list. And I don't even want to say up the list because they're, I think they're high on the list, but could definitely improve his opinion of Michigan. uh, Because I think that's one thing that he wanted to see. And I think that's one thing that he wasn't able to see in the spring was going up there and seeing the continuing evolution of Michigan's running backs and also how they're being coached by Josh Gaddis and Jay Harbaugh. Those guys haven't been in their positions for that long. Gaddis only one year. So I think Donovan's still getting a picture of exactly how this Michigan offense is going to look and how a guy like Zach Charbonnet is developing. As always, it makes complete sense. That's good. You're, you're on foggy right now, correct? I am. Yeah. And so I, I do think Michigan and Georgia who are the two that I was foggy between then. Um, I, I'm starting to think a school like Penn State can really make a run. You know, they've got Lance Dixon, former teammate on the, on the team. They can tout recent guys like Saquon Barkley, et cetera. Um, and, and then they're not, you know, they're not close to home, but they have distance in their favor in that they're going to play some away games back in the state of Michigan. So that's that makes it a little bit different than a place like Georgia or even I've heard of Oklahoma talked about, but you know, his parents are in family and people are trying to come see him. They're traveling to every single game. Whereas if you stay in the big 10, then you get a few games back closer to home too. So Penn state's my dark horse in this whole thing. The Nittany lions have made life a little miserable for Michigan in state this year. They've done a really uh, Tim banks, right? A Detroit King alum. Am I correct? Yes, a Detroit King uh, alum, and and so earlier you that kind of we kind of talked about in-state recruiting. You brought up Wheatley. You know, Wheatley was a Detroit guy. I think that that's something that I've heard brought up with some of the local coaches that Michigan you know doesn't have right now. Don't think a Tim Banks on their staff, a guy who um, is a position coach that is from Detroit. I don't sure. I don't believe. No, I, I, I don't. Think I don't some of the GAs, but I know James Ross and some of those guys are there. Right. No, that's yeah. They've. It always seems like every cycle, at least for Michigan. They're, that they're battling a different program primarily for their in-state guys. This cycle, it is clearly Penn State. I know you mentioned them with Spindler earlier as making a pretty legitimate push. And then, yeah, if they're the dark horse for 
Edwards as well. Uh, they already took the King Twins out of Cats Tech. So, uh, and Jamari Budden as well. I think they're a major factor there. So, uh, so yeah, should be interesting. That'd be, uh, I'd be good. I think this went well. Uh, Alan, pleasure having you on. Great talking recruiting. It's nice to talk shop on the podcast. Uh, you know, Zach and I will be back in action sometime later this week, I assume. Uh, so look, look forward to that. Alan, thanks again. Uh, take care. Probably have you on again sometime in the near future. Sounds great. Appreciate you having me and hope everybody stays safe and healthy out there. Yeah, I, I do too. Sorry, I forgot. I should have said that. I hope you guys are all safe and healthy out there. All right, guys. 24-7 Sports, Michigan Insider, Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Uh, take care, guys.